When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Nate uses AKG microphones and headphones. Today, Nate returns with his cohorts Eugene S. Robinson, lead singer of the art punk band Oxbow, and veteran entertainment attorney Alexi Ald to continue their discussion of Netflix's hip-hop evolution. This week, they look at Pass the Mic, which features most deaf, Eminem, and an in-depth look at ciphers and open mics and their role in 90s hip-hop. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. to let it roll i'm your host nate wilcox and we're back again with alexi old and eugene s robinson to continue our discussions of netflix hip-hop evolution documentary series this week we're talking about season three episode three pass the mic which looks at the tiny mammals running through the underbrush while the giant dinosaurs of the jiggy era rampaged across the earth in their shiny suits so fellas general thoughts on the episode alexi Ah, where do I begin? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Eugene. (laughs) Like I said, I I find a lot of that stuff aspirational, just given where I was in my life and my time at that point. You know, some of these cats who wanted all that authenticity were just broke, you know? And by the time this stuff hit, I wasn't broke, but, you know, I wasn't, yeah. You know, there's a guy I knew, Greg Crossfield, and he's the first one, he said, yeah, I said, how you doing, Greg? He's like, oh, man, I'm getting that paper. I was like, well, wh- what paper? But <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the thing, that was confusing, the, the thing that was confusing is he was actually in the paper business. <laughs> he ran, he, he ran, you know, like a, he did a mini version of Kinko's. He was like this up-and-coming black executive going to do this, like, Kinko's thing. So he's talking about paper. So what are you talking about? Gravure? What are we talking about? We you know, Matt. Multiple, multiple but he, I don't know, man. I, it was a good. I thought it was a good time. I, I I wasn't going to that music for anything other than entertaining, you know, uh, entertainment. So I didn't need social. Me- like for example, I have better feelings about the Jiggy era because it was honestly what it was than I do a lot of the, about a lot of the Black identity uh, politic stuff that came out, which I thought was those were false notes because these people had clearly never been been back to Africa. You know what happens when you go back to Africa? You know what Africans think when you go back to Africa? Go back to America. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they think. Go home. Go home. So it's just like I thought that was fantasy stuff, whereas the Jiggy stuff, you know, I I got angry at P. Diddy at one point, and then he had a line from one of his songs. He goes, uh, 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 any girl uh, fucking with me, believe me, that's a privilege. And and I I started thinking like, man, a guy, and then I realized, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He's right. <laughs> He's right. Dude's like almost a billionaire. <laughs> like if you happen to look into hanging out with a billionaire in that way, you know, that's probably a privilege. <laughs> it's not a right, certainly. So I don't I don't have negative feelings about it. I, I have ne- ne- you now flash forward a couple of years. I have negative feelings about it because it was revealed to be what it was, which was artistically sort of empty. But as music of the time, I, I enjoyed it. Alexei, have you gathered your thoughts now? Yeah, so Jiggy Era or Freestyle Fellowship Era? We're talking about this episode, the Pass the Mic Underground, which is a response to the Jiggy Era. Yeah, contemporaneous so, with the Jiggy Era. So I, when Rod Digger was talking about how she felt about Puffy and that whole Jiggy thing, I felt that too is one of the things that kind of drove me out of of hip hop. Uh, my favorite group, Helter Skelter, 
hip-hop group. Their first album, Nocturnal, was phenomenal. And then their second album, Magnum Force, they did a fish-eyed lens jiggy era video. And that... Gary Gray. Sad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, we're doing the oh, the fishbowl lens. Oh. So, uh, so, so for the freestyle fellowship, that kind of stuff, I do remember Lyricist Lounge in New York, but first with Freestyle Fellowship, my introduction to them was when I was still in DC watching their video on MTV as a pure casual. And it was steeped in, at the time, what I felt was once again, mainstream Rolling Stone media trying to take away the core of hip hop, which is someone rapping over a turntable and having jazz in it instead and we're gonna it's it's gonna be this jazz kind of thing man and 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 so it just to me just seemed like fake and pretentious i didn't like their flow i i i I didn't care for them at all i didn't get it and understand it nobody i knew was rocking their stuff um so that's why when i saw that there was so much time spent on them in this segment and the other people who they spent no time on Houdini, Slick Rick, yeah, Audio Slick Rick was 2, a big mistake. Yeah. even uh, uh, EPMD, uh, EPMD, even yeah, Vanilla Ice. Price. I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, it, 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 so again, it's it's and the Beastie Boys got very little love, and so did LL Cool J. It, but yeah, and that and that I think is because they had to rush to get gangster rap in on the first season because it's 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 big like when you're doing a series like this you got to have big names and Houdini and that whole second wave other than Ron DMC and LL Cool J just didn't hasn't survived as what this much cultural currency is or didn't as, give one uh, interview <laughs> yeah or, and that, that could be a thing but but yeah, I agree. I think that Run DMC should have that Run DMC Houdini L Cool J era should have had a whole Cool Modi, a whole oh. episode. Then they do another episode with Public Enemy and, and Eric B and Rakim, and then you can yeah. fit in EPMD and and put Slick Rick in that with Dougie oh, Fresh uh, in that second uh, wave. Alternatively, you change the title of the show, which seems to be a much easier fix. Don't call it Hip Hop Evolution if you know you can't drop out. You know you can't. You can't drop out Cro-Magnon, man, right? You can't drop out Neanderthals and expect, you know, if evolution, if that's what we're talking about, then mm. didn't just change the title. Make it, you know, Hip Hop Precy, you know, or Hip Hop Canada. Summary. Yeah. yeah uh, you, guys, Canada. You, guys, you, guys are, you guys are hating now. But I, I mean, I think, I think what they're trying to do here and what they do, we should summarize the episode a little bit. They start out with the underground scene in Greenwich Village. Uh, what's the name of the park? It was Washington Square Park. Washington Square like Park. Right that's, of, that's, 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 that's a college. That's the thing. It's okay. a college park where you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a famous park, and that's where like the Bob Dylan, Dave Van Ronk era folkies gathered in the '60s out there hooting nannies. Even the Weavers back in the '50s. So it's a historic story park. Yep. That's been a big part of grassroots music in New York for a long time. So I, I thought that was great to cover that. They had Supernatural in there, who's a big battle rapper. Although they didn't cover any of his big. Uh, battles you know they didn't mention him being a famous battle rapper ba- battle rapper at all i mean there's a whole documentary freestyle the art of rhyme that came out about 15 years ago that focuses on supernatural talks about his rivalry with craig g you know how and they had a classic rivalry i think they had like three or four goes and and each one of them got their wins and then he had a big rivalry with mc juice uh, who's a white guy i want to say out of chicago none of that gets mentioned in this and they also should have tied it into that the, the Washington Square Park had a pretty healthy skate scene, had and still has. And you see some of the people with their decks in it. And that was like Beastie Boys crossover style because those guys used to skate there as well. So, you know, yeah, um, that would have been yeah, a nice I mean, segue. I- yeah, I, but I, you I'm know, look, 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 it, 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 it is what it is, right? I, I mean, these are just things that I'm thinking as I'm watching it. So it's yeah, their yeah. show. And, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm not so butthurt about it. I'm going to do my own thing unless some viewer out there has some money and they want to finance. <laughs> Nothing. Wrong you know what with cracks me up? Nate and Eugene together to finance. I mean, if you want to finance a, a true, mm-hmm. a true evolution with the Cro-Magnum man yeah. and Neanderthals up in that joint. 
Well, you know, I, I think I watched, I watched ahead of you guys just a little bit. What cracks me up, and now, now I've seen it. I can't unsee it. These cutaways that they keep doing of him walking. It's like, yeah. yo, bro, you're like executive producer. Can't you get a car? Can't you Uber for police? <laughs> the street. I got to watch you walking around know, Atlanta yeah. for and 10 minutes, you know? That is a little <laughs> yeah, right, bit of a right, you know? I know Honey's God. either. It's not like he's walking around like, damn, who's that? It's like, no, it's yeah, just him. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. They kind of move back in time because what they don't tell you is that the Washington Square Park stuff was happening in the early 90s because Giuliani mm-hmm. comes along in, what, 93? And he yep. shuts that shit down. And that inspires the opening of the Lyricist Lounge, which is the first title segment of, of this episode. And it's another one where the, the first third of the episode doesn't have a title segment. So uh, th- that was a tiny bit annoying. But they, I, I do think this is right back. Oh, to like oh, okay. covered- Why did you send me down the Jiggy Road? At the beginning of the show, what the hell was that about? Like Mary and Barry. Because this is all happening at the same time. This is an answer to the Jiggy Air. That's the whole reason I set up this episode. This episode is here's what was going on underground. Same way, right? The same way the episode was set up. You were set up, Eugene. Exactly. You fell for it. (laughs) My finished plot, but you know they don't mention Rockets Records. I did go to a lyricist lounge. Stuff. I forgot to mention that. I did go uh, to and eventually went uh, to a lyricist lounge. When? In New York. When? Like what uh, year? It was late. It was probably 94. I went to a, a lyricist. No, 95. Went to a lyricist lounge. And it was exactly, I was there watching. I was watching with my wife and I was like, yeah, I went to one. And it was like, too many dudes. I was like, we're the honeys. I'm out. Peace. <laughs> and then that's what I said. It was a sausage fest. I was like, of course yeah. it was. I fucking yeah. In and out of the lyrics. Oh, where's oh, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think anytime you and get I think, into I think, I think that's, I think actually, he, that's, he's, he, Alexi, Alexi's delivering it as a throwaway point. I think that's significant. I do too. And it, it's something that goes along that you see in rock and roll, where you see, like in the British bands, Beatles had girls. The Yardbirds with their guitar heroics, the girls all left. But the dudes are at the front row absorbing Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page's guitar heroics. That's what they call it, huh? And the, girls, the girls don't give two shits, you know? But the dudes all want to learn this te- technique. And mm-hmm. and I think that I think it's a similar phenomenon where it's mostly dudes rapping. There are some women rappers here, and they feature them. But it's mostly dudes rapping. It's real technical. It's real focused on novelty, you know, Elaborate lyrics, novel flows, jazz influence flows in the case of L.A. Um, but they don't talk about Rockets Records, which was putting out compilations of this yep. stuff. They put out the Lyric- Lyricist Lounge compilation is like in 98, which had Cool Keith. And that's the thing that kills me is there's that's no Cool gone. Keith on here. There's no high tech. Although you know, high tech yeah, work. There could be a, there could be half a dozen reasons why they didn't put Cool Keith in there, man. Oh sure, like, sure. That, that dude's got to answer his first, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, and MF Doom, another guy that was yeah, around in this era yeah. that they didn't mention yeah. that was underground. But I see what they're going for. They're going for what for this. They want to cover the lyricist lounge, which I think is a totally valid thing. And most deaf. Uh, was obviously the biggest star to come out of this, but they don't talk about Most Def's movie career, which essentially stole him away That's from hip hop. They that don't talk nice. about Black Star as such. I mean, they've got Talib Kweli and Most Def, but they don't mention these guys were a group and they did an album together. Uh, you know, don't go into that at all. Um, and then, you know, they showed Talib the Kweli album. For they showed the album. Yeah. They didn't really talk. That's about true. It, That's true. And uh, you know, and I think I think Jay Z's line. I can't remember what album it was on, but it says, if skills sold, truth be told, I'd probably be lyrically to leave Quilly. So, you know, that's Jay doffing his hat to these guys. But also, you never had a sausage fest at Jay-Z's shows. He knew how to bring in the ladies, bring in the crowds, sell records, you know, be a big star, which none of these guys did. But oh, another person they left out we forgot that criminally left out of, of Hip Hop Evolution, the Fugees. Like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Again, mm. yes, and also I thought this episode was a good time. They could have brought in the Far Side, who oh, came out of yeah, LA yeah, at the same time yeah. as the Freestyle Fellowship and yeah. had, but they bigger never did. And 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 yes, bigger, but than didn't fit into the theme of this episode because they did. Yeah. They went straight to a label and they didn't dick around at the Good Life Cafe. So I don't know. I th- I thought the whole thing with the Good Life Cafe was interesting, and and worth covering. And again, like the Freestyle Fellowship. 
I think I heard about them in the 90s, but I never paid them any mind whatsoever. And the people yeah. that I paid attention to out of this scene was Jurassic 5. So yes, when Jurassic yes, 5 yes. is saying yep. that, that, that Freestyle Fellowship were the guys, I give credence to that because Cut Chemist yeah. and, and the Jurassic 5, I mean, they were mega big. In they weren't mentioned world, at so. all. That was not mentioned at all, though. If you see Jurassic no, 5, but so it, you know who they are, then it's like, oh, Jurassic 5, but then it's like, okay, they're going to talk yeah. about them right next, then talk about them next, and they don't. But there's, yeah. is it, there was a, there's a weird thing that was happening here, and 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 it was, I made the point once, and then I remember getting in trouble for it when I went to England after I made the point, but, you know, jazz used to be super popular music, right? You had 30-piece bands. You had people playing huge pavilions. And what started to happen is that uh, jazz musicians were like, why do we, you know, why do we got that woman out front singing? All she's doing is singing. You know, she can't play. Why we got to pay her? We'll just play. And so they start playing. And then we get into, we get into harmelodics and free jazz. That's ultimately where it ends up, right? It, it bebop is what killed jazz's commercial entity way before you get into free jazz. You cannot blame right. that call. You know, you know, you know why? You don't have Detail. bebop vocalist. You don't have bebop well, vocalist. I Sarah Vaughn, L. Fitzgerald. There are lots of vocalists uh, that kept uh, up with bebop. Yeah, they, they, sang, they sang enough great standards where they could actually they served as a demiurge <laughs> for the, the the desires of the crowd. So when these guys you know, cotton to, hey, we're going to be like the jazz guys because they had this kind of ineffable cool. They were focused on the wrong jazz guys, you know? I mean, Duke Ellington, sorry. Yeah. Or a Count Basie. Yep. Yeah, and these guys were giants. The, the depth of their songbook over Miles Davis. You know, Miles Davis had the attitude, but, you know, he, he it was his shift to rock in the end that saved his ass, you know? So, and yet you're um, one of the people who did more than anybody to turn punk rock into an artsy, fartsy medium that's big in Belgium. I mean, I just got to point that out. Nothing against <laughs> hey, Oxbow, but come on. Listen, I mean, it's you know, not like Oxbow's commercially. You, you, can do, you can be artistically significant and commercially viable. The Ramones being an example. Now, the Ramones probably want to play stadiums, but the way I'm looking at it, you know, the Ramones were artistically viable and commercially successful. I mean, I didn't see... Joey Ramon working at Starbucks. So, you know, in my mind, commercially yeah, they successful. Made it so. And I'm glad you brought up the bebop thing, though, because that's been kind of an obsession of mine doing this whole Let It Roll series. Because mm. there's a big bifurcation point in the mid 40s. Big bands died because of World War II. They drafted all the band members. Labor was cheap during the Depression. So in the 30s, it was cheap and easy to get a band of 15 or 20 guys. Mm. And then in World War II, you had gas rationing tire rationing everybody got drafted the musician union went on strike for multiple years so you couldn't make yeah. records so the, the economics of big bands just died and right around that time because charlie parker had been in pop jazz bands yep. he was in david yep. shan's group and he was blown yep. him away he played the savoy like they went up against yep. lucky millinder i think is who who um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it might not have been Jay McShann that Parker was with, but whatever band Parker was with, they blew away Lucky Millinder, who was one of the hot Harlem bands of the time. And people mm. were digging what Charlie Parker was laying down with the crazy solos. He wasn't fully formed yet, but he was still out there with the solos. And there was a huge song called, um, fuck, The Hucklebuck, which was a huge, huge dance song in the late 40s that Charlie yep. Parker wrote the main riff to. Yeah. So he could have been doing stuff like that, but he deliberately chose to not do that. And and it was yeah. partly a statement of black nationalism and intellectual independence, what him and Dizzy were doing. But they were also kind of shocked when it wasn't popular. Like they went out to L.A. after everybody had been here and, oh, there's this new shit coming out of Harlem. This is the stuff. This is the stuff. And, you yeah. know, first night it's crowded. Second night, nobody's there. Basically, uh, not quite. That yeah, simple, but they, but, but they, but they knew. I mean, Louis Armstrong was already attacking them. I, what was his famous quote? I don't understand his Chinese music. That's what. That's what he dismissed. Well, it sure. Chinese yeah, music, I mean, right? it was so. it was impossible to dance to, and it was really harmonically complicated. And meanwhile, Louis Jordan, who comes well, out it of the it group, succeeded as long as they did standards. Because you could imagine Stella by Starlight. I can hear the voice in my in my head, even if Charlie Parker's playing along with the rip, right? So, but once they said, you know, well, why are we even doing standards? I got this original tune, you know, in comes Bud. Some of that stuff was catchy, but I mean, the, he lose the vocalist. Wait, wait, who, did, who did in comes Bud? Who did that? 
Uh, 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 Wasn't that Disney that did that? Some, yeah, I think it was. I, no, because I there was a DC Gogo band called the Huck of Bucks, yeah. and they had the Bud, which was uh, In Walk Bud, Bud is a Thelonious Monk song. That's right, and Thank it's you. based yeah. it's based on Irving Berlin's Blue Skies. Well, this um, one was made high school, the... alum, high school alumni of me. Well, this ah, Bud from go. the Huck Bucks was based on the Budweiser Frogs. We got the ah. Bud, 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 Wise, Bud, I, th- bud, I think bud, we've gotten off, bud, off track. <laughs> yeah, we're a little off track. But the last thing I wanted to bring in now was, was that Louis Jordan was a jazz guy who went R- who invented R&B around that same yep. period of time. And he was massively successful in the mid-40s, like – you know, there was one year I think he was in the charts, had the number one chart record on the R and B charts for like forty-seven out of fifty-two weeks of the year. Damn. Like this guy was absolutely fucking immense, and he was not obviously not the brilliant soloist that Charlie Parker was, but he was a perfectly competent soloist and a great band leader. He narrowed the band down to a five-piece or seven-piece, and had the bigger beat. Not even with amplification, but just because. I don't know the way they played the beat was loud enough to carry a big ballroom. But anyway, jazz splits at this point in 45 parts of it goes to R and B and becomes massively pop stays massively popular. Like mm-hmm. jazz had been part becomes bebop, but I'm not going to reject everything that came out of bebop because I no, love Miles no, no, no. Davis kind of blue, you know, all the way up yep. through the fusion stuff. I mean, Miles well, I say harm melodics, but I'm a fan of harm melodics and Ornette Coleman and three jazz. I like that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, under, I understand it's not popular. <laughs> yes, yes. Although it, it did have a lasting impact. So there's, you know, multiple ways to skin a cat. And I think that's what these guys were doing is that this was an era in hip hop where some people are just saying, hey, I'm not going to compete with Jiggy and I'm going to try to try to do something artistic. And I think that's totally valid. And, and they ended up the same way, same way some of those jazz cats did. Well, Broke. the thing that now the, the the thing that killed the freestyle fellowship is one of them went to prison. So the same shit that was catching all the gangster yeah. rappers is catching the artsy rappers. I mean, you're black yeah. in America. What do you what what, what 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 do you go to what do you go to prison for? I didn't even look into it, but I'm sure it's some yeah. trumped up bullshit. I I, I always yeah, you assume, don't know that. I don't know that, but nine yeah. times out of ten, but like I like these gangster guy, rappers talk about you know jail hey, when and I, shit. We're we're when I went to jail when I went to jail uh-huh. when I went to jail it was for false information. To a police officer, <laughs> Abraham okay. Lincoln. That's, that's, trumped, we know, we up. that's trumped up shit, you know. Robin <laughs> yeah. a liquor store might not be trumped up shit, right? Yeah, it's true, but I mean, old dirty bastard. You know, his big sentence was for wearing a bulletproof vest, which is just bullshit. Yeah, that, that's trump. Know? That's trumped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. So I do not know what 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 took out the dudes from Freestyle Fellowship, but the, I think yeah. it was just one of them that went to jail. But anyway, I don't know. I've enjoyed going back and listening to Freestyle Fellowship. I enjoyed going back and listening to Black Star which I'd never listened to and most deaf and Talib Kweli's first couple albums were pretty good. So, you know, I don't know. I think the purpose of the show is to introduce you to a lot of stuff yep. and kind of yep. give an overall narrative. And I've, I've, I dig the function of this and, and what's leading up to, and we'll talk about next time is Eminem comes out of a similar scene in Detroit a little bit later. And so that that's how they're weaving this together. Cause they've got to have superstars to anchor these shows. And this one's built around most yep. deaf who's, honestly more of an actor than a hip-hop guy in terms of his overall accomplishments and eminem is gonna set the world on fire i know talk about him i got a couple of most i have a couple of most deaf records they're actually phenomenal you know yeah no he's Um, he's really really good but he's kind of to me one of these guys who was the heir apparent you know I mean, and, but and he had his hands he, always in, in two different things. So I remember, yeah, when, uh, and, before Black Star blew up, he had that, um, he had that commercial. He was on uh, some credit card commercial. Like, oh, most stuff is on a credit card commercial. So. Yeah, and he also had a group with his sister, I think, um, before he had Black Star, and mm. and then. There was a period when he and Dr. No of the Bad Brains were trying to put together the authentic black answer to Limp Biscuit, which I think it says a lot about the difficulty of doing that, that they never really produced anything, but they did talk a ton of shit. And he put together what sounded like an all-star black rock band and, you know, ultimately never produced anything. So I'm not dissing most deaf, 
but the guy's got you know the black star album. Way, then... but, but what I kind of did glean is is, is this a little uh, a foreshadowing into Let It Roll, New Metal? eventually we'll get there and when we talk about the hip hop evolution series there's a great episode of new metal that kind of turned my head around uh, a little bit because I always just hated and despised that stuff but um, the Ted Joy you could just (laughs) hear me out out. Ted Joy who's been one of the most interesting music writers that I've researched for this series his book subversive music and subversive history points out that like you're never going to separate craziness like violence and social upheaval from the very best cutting edge music. Like those two things always go together. And when you look at the shit that Limp Biscuit stirred up, I really do think they were playing with fire because they were the only authentic redneck hip hop band to have massive success, be authentically metal. And I mean, they were dismal hip hop. And I always viewed yeah, that stuff as just a dead end at the time. But anyway, I'm just saying, when we get to the hip hop evolution or the heavy metal evolution series, there will be a new metal episode and we can discuss it at so the time. So I'm open. Huh? Heavy metal evolution. I'm so there, man. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. As soon as we wrap up this hip hop business, we'll move on to the to the metal but anyway next time we're going to come back and we're going to talk about See that? Find the ticket all, can't believe that. From where they send the jury at to where the police react. Tell them quality, equality, you tell them what we be at. Brooklyn, New York City, where they paint murals of Biggie and Cash. We trust, cause this ghetto fabulous life look pretty. What a pity, blunts are still 50 cents. And now a word from our sponsors. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion of hip hop evolution, season three, episode three, Pass the Mic. We've covered the 90s New York City open mic scene at Lyris' Lounge and LA's Good Life Cafe with Freestyle Fellowship, as well as Blackstar, which we kind of got out of order. But anyway, now we're going to turn our attentions to underground radio, which they mostly focus on the Stretch Armstrong and Bobito show. Did either of you guys ever listen to that back in the day? Nah, it was there was super rocket Mr. Magic before I left New York and uh, all that other stuff came after I was already gone. I didn't listen to New York radio when I was in New York. I'd listen to whoever, you know, when I was in New York, the only person I knew who had a car it was a guy from Texas who had a Jeep and refused to walk anywhere, even across the street. <laughs> So I like that guy. Yeah, exactly. He's like, man, I got to walk. Three Texan. And we actually thwarted a rape one night because uh, there was this girl that we knew who was on a date with the guy who was just getting her just pass out drunk. And he he was like, oh, we let he's like, oh, you know, let's let's drive around. Let's drive around. You know, and so like we walked to his car and then walked somewhere else. And like by the time she had her senses, we dropped the guy off. Like, where do you live, man? He's like, I live in songs. Okay, there you go. Bye. Good night. Hero, hero. But off topic. So, I think the the underground radio goes with the ciphers and the open mics. And what they're trying to do is show that there was this bubbling under scene that was keeping the torch of hip hop lit, as it were, even during the shiny suit era. And Stretch and Bobito was a big part of that. They don't mention it was on college radio. It was on Thursday nights from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Mm. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that they leave out that it's it's a white and a Hispanic host. 
and yet they were totally down. I mean, they they had well, they all showed the they players. showed they showed them. So how would they add that? I mean, you well, could like, see their light faces. Skinned, light skinned. Light skinned. They didn't yeah. discuss. You know, they didn't discuss it. They just let you digest and process it yourself. Well, but, I mean, I thought, in the in, in the Bay Area, we had Davey D. You know, uh, who was who was African American, and of course, you know, famously Chuck D. Got his start as a, as a DJ. So this was not unusual. There are a lot of white hip hop heads, you know. Yeah, that's true. And but few contributed as much as Stretch and, and Bobito. There's a documentary that they made about themselves. It is excellent. <laughs> I got to do, do that. I got to do that. It's a documentary you're about You're the subject of like three documentaries. How many documentaries do you need? I've I mean, almost got three documentaries, but you know what I'm saying. It's, oh, as I a solo make, artist. I see. Yeah, I, I, see. I, I did not make the documentaries about me. Other people did. They didn't go into I the see. nuances of how great Eugene is also. You know, it's like a lot. <laughs> That's you know, what my documentary about me would be. Yeah, yes, a lot well, of lots of you talking about, about the greatness of Eugene. <laughs> Um, but I mean, you know, the stretch of Barbito was, was unique because they could play anything they wanted to. People could cuss, they could drop the N-bomb all night long and stretch was doing live beats. And so people yeah. were freestyling and it was the radio debut of dozens of people like Nas, Biggie, Jay-Z, um, Big Pun, Fat Joe, tons of people debuted on, on the radio there. So I don't know. I thought it was, it was a good way to tell the story of the period. You guys have any thoughts? Well, also, I mean, the, you can't you can't lead over, over the fact that uh, what was happening was too that college radio was becoming a thing, right? That this hold that WBLS in New York and that these arbiters of cool had when they kind of just put the, you know, the 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 the, the what the tongs to to independent stuff and like tongs, the, tongs, okay, tongs. we're not. Yeah, we're not going to do, we're not, we, we, we got our own ways to hear. So college radio was a super big portion of that. And I'd like to give a, a nod of the head to kind of alternative music prior to, which was like, had figured out we're never going to get p- played on, on what was a WPLJ in New York. <laughs> we're never going to play us. It's like, we're rock and roll, but we're not their rock and roll. So college radio was a really big deal from WBR in New York to there's one right over the river in Jersey. I mean, back going back to now, we're talking 77, 78, 79. So was that uh, early, early, new or something in Jersey? No, my God, can I could just yeah. uh, the guy who who really pushed it to another level actually quit and then came out here. They actually bought the station away from the college and ran it for many years as an indie station. But like the KFJC in California, and these are places where you could still get great hip hop shows. Um, great as KFJC, I, I learned a lot about reggae. They just have you know Spliff Skankin oh. is the guy who does a show there, and these guys are still ten years on, fifteen years on, still. I mean, they're clearly out of college, but still rocking their college radio shows. It's it's an un, unsung hero. Uh, I mean, if you could tie the amount of money that they have generated by creating interest where prior to there was none, or where like mainstream radio would never have doffed their cap, you know, these guys are, are responsible for quite a lot. So, yeah, and these guys, according to the, the documentary they did, uh, the artists that debuted on their show as unsigned artists ended up selling over 300 million records. And these guys did go. that radio show for free, for nothing. Yep. Yeah. Um, for years. And, and they also don't talk about they did move to 90, Hot 97, um, which I think was last mentioned when they banned Wu Tang Clan. Or actually, they did mention that they banned Wu Tang Clan, but that was a big part of, of sort of the, the end of the. Wu Tang Dynasty's growth, but it led to the breakup. Why, why did why they ban Bobito. them? I miss this. Because they played at a Hot ninety seven show, and one of them went off on the station for reasons that I'm blanking on yes. at this point in time. But just totally classic Elvis Costello outside live kind of career, shoot yourself in the foot kind of fuck up. Eugene style, stepping on your own dick. Exactly. Exactly. I could choose not to insult this guy who's given me everything, but why would I? <laughs> exactly. 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 And so, any other thoughts on the underground radio? So, we also talk about a show from San Francisco, um, but didn't really go into it that much. I think Davey of- D's show it was pretty influential. If you get also Danielle Smith was from the Bay Area, if you you remember, and I think she's maybe was or still is at Vibe. I don't remember so. I mean, she was interviewed yeah. in some of the earlier earlier versions of the show. And uh, Dan Charnas, author of uh, the the big payout, I think the, the business, the history of the business of hip hop, great great book. I've interviewed him twice. 
that book goes into a ton of the first, the history of hip hop on the radio. And the Bay Area was totally one of the first areas to have major yeah. commercial radio coverage of hip hop as well as college. So they segue from this into Black Star, which we've already pretty much covered. Any, anything else to add about Black Star? I like that first the album. That's album one. The new one's supposed to be done. They've got a second album that's in the can. I don't. I'd actually have one for, for the listeners and, and I, I, I'd like to see what people think. When, when, when did it, it become less rap and more hip hop terminology wise? Um, I'd say I have an answer. I just put it out there. Just say, I think, okay, right. I've I got an answer. Do you have an answer? What's your answer? It's, and it's most deaf and 12 Quelly are right up there in, prioritizing hip-hop and talking about the culture and trying to preserve it as a thing like self-consciously trying to preserve it because Harris it was under, under kind of was okay culture, okay but culture, then culture, culture, why culture, why culture. why was rap no longer sufficient to carry the water on that count hmm. you had to it's a typical music or any kind of creative industry snobbery you have to be able to distinguish oh no no i like hip-hop i don't like rap that's vanilla ice mc hammer's rap that's not hip-hop mm. mm. so is one a superset of the other or is one a, a, or conversely a subset of the other rap is a subset of hip-hop because the five pillars you got dancing you yep. got graffiti you got hip-hop you got mc and you got dj and and one other one i forget culture yeah. i don't know Side note. And anyway, anyway, so then they segue to Detroit, the place where you there's no outlets. Although they don't spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. (laughs) They don't mention Kid Rock and Insane Clown Posse here. I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Same reason they left Vanilla Ice out. And MC Search and those. It should not be those reasons. They're acknowledging any white rappers. Yeah, they, they should. They, not... they undersold the Beastie Boys pretty bad too. Everlast, not a mention. Nary a mention. Everlast was interesting because he he had two swings at it. Yep. If you remember, with first oh, time yeah. it was completely unremarkable hip hop guy, and then like kind of almost a pretty boy. Then he went and got like kind of roughed up more credibly than I'd have to say Hammer did, <laughs> you know, and oh, uh, came 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 back with House of Pain. Which was, I thought, much more legitimate than the first incarnation of Everlast, which was kind of weak. You don't like Everlast? <laughs> Everlast came second. That was the whole Carlos Santana duet. That was like six years after. Alex. I'm talking about this pretty boy that I saw on some show. He was in the Crime in like, Syndicate. That's when he first came out. He was the yeah. Rhyme Syndicate. He was he was affiliated yeah. with Ice T at first. Yeah, yeah, right. Ice T introduced him, and yeah. But then he has another whole round of superstardom with Carlos Santana and all that stuff around 2000. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't count that. No, I don't count. I, that. Yeah, I never understood what was going on with Carlos Santana yeah. and that whole period. But anyway, uh, yeah, they zero in <laughs> on the hip hop shop, which was a, a clothing store that let kids come in and do rap battles. And they very quickly focus in on one of those kids who goes on to become a global uh, superstar: Marshall Mathers, Eminem, Slim Shady. Anybody want to take the first bite at this apple? Anybody? I remember Anybody? First, I remember when uh, I was in DC when uh, that album dropped. Is uh, and um, I didn't know anyone that was fucking with it. And uh, when I moved to New York, uh, the white friends of mine who were into hip hop hated him so much that they kind of ruined Eminem for me. Because they just was authentic and legitimate. <laughs> like, oh no, 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 no! I got, I have a better origin story for. Go ahead. I'm, at this point now, at this Out point, hey, hey, I got to, I got to break up <laughs> because it's such a great one. Like at this point now, I'm a suit wearing, briefcase carrying, businessman traveling, you know, for Apple or Adobe or when he's in you know, large corporations, and I'm sitting there just beat as f, you know, in. Uh, Sorry, beat as fuck in, in, yeah, in, you have the, the, in the dong behind yeah. your head, man. You don't have to, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. right. And uh, I'm sitting there looking like straighter than shit, right? But uh, there must have been something in my eye 
and there's like a 16 year old, 17 year old white girl that she's got on her like Walkman or whatever it was at the time with the earbuds. And she's like, listen to music and she's looking at me, right? And I kind of start smiling because I was like, I could tell that she's listening to music that's got a beat because I could see her head moving. And, you know, I go back to whatever I'm doing, like some, whatever, some corporate stuff. And then I look, she's sitting right next to me and she goes, hi. And, I, you know, she's just a kid, right? So I go, yeah, hi. And she goes, you ever hear Eminem? <laughs> and I was like, no. She goes, oh, God, you got to listen. She takes her ear, <laughs> earphones, jams, and yeah. told, you know, and I'm kind of phobic about that kind of weird. Earwax and shit. Who knows yeah, man. But she jams it in my ears, and, I, and I'm like, I was like, yeah, this is, wait a minute. Actually, oh, oh. Hey, this is actually all right. And so then I get to where I'm going and I look up and the Dr. Dre uh, imprimator hits and I was like, fuck, that's good enough for me. I buy the record and uh, I, you know, I mean, but coming through the lens of Dr. Dre, then you read the supporting characters. Mm -hmm. Like dude didn't, it wasn't like an Elvis thing. Like dude was there. He, he was like, he- Hey, Elvis he, was there. What man Elvis did? Yeah, the yeah, you know, and, and like the Beastie Boys had a very, uh, they, they were very clear to, to, you know, when they came in, they were going to the Latin Quarter, they were going into Harlem, they were going into the Bronx, and they were going places like where other hardcore kids were like, that's okay, bro, that's cool, yeah, you know, I mean, the, 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 the hardcore kids that went to hip hop shows were either Black, Puerto Rican, or the Beastie Boys, like that's it. <laughs> There's only white cats there. So Eminem had made that same sort of journey where he was like, I mean, these were guys that he hung out with and he yeah. was gonna, you know, he was doing what they were doing. So he was his credibility came from the fact that he wasn't so much a, a Tarzan tourist, but a guy who just happened to, you know, to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And, he, would, and, 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 and he was talented. Very talented. And the battle rap thing, I think, was essential to that. And none of the other yeah. white rappers before that had come out of the, the battle rap scene. And so yeah. he was actually just a brilliant rapper. You know, he had great flow. He could improvise. And he was vicious. And, and one thing they do leave out, though, is how much he was bullied and beat up as the only white kid in black schools in Detroit. Like he was hospitalized. I think he was comatose for like 10 days because somebody hit him with a ice, uh, a snowball with a padlock in it or something in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so and, and they do talk about the rejection he faced. You know, they talk about how proof the guy who ran the battle raps at the hip hop shop would kind of introduce him as this is my white boy you know, like, right, yeah. and give him the credibility. But I thought they kind of undersold the difficulty he had getting over as a white artist. They don't talk about his first album at all, which has never come out digitally, but it was a cassette and vinyl only thing called Infinite. Um, mm. that I'd love to hear, but it's super expensive if you can track down a copy. Um, but we, that uh, what flop, do you say? super expensive. How, how expensive? Like the one I looked at eBay was like a thousand bucks. Like, yeah, I'm not. Ah, ah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I found out a record that I did, a side project I did is going for nine fifty four. I don't even own a copy. I was like, hey, hey, you guys, could I? Maybe you break yeah. me up. I was like, nope, nine fifty four. How did it become a rare item, you know? You should, you know. You should offer to autograph it for half the take. That was William Burroughs' old trick. Mm. Oh, that's He's actually a, a pretty good idea. That's yeah, a pretty yeah. good uh -huh. idea. All right, uh -huh. all right. Yeah, and so... But they also don't talk about like, you know, Detroit had already produced Kid Rock and Insane Clown Posse. And Eminem shit just didn't go. I mean, they didn't again, even the young black teenagers done by the bomb squad. But they were from know. New York. Weren't they from New York? No, they like, were. I'm just saying they're just, they're just they're just not representing yeah. white rappers at all in this show. Yeah. It's until great. they get what to about, Eminem. Yeah, I was, what about third base? I like those guys third yeah, base. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Again, and, and, and MC Search has a credible case to say he discovered Nas, you know, yep. was executive yep. producer on his first record, et cetera, et cetera. But and he beat just let Rollins. those guys out. He what? MC in Search the, beat the pop, up Rollins? Pop Goes the Weasel video. Oh, Henry yeah, Rollins yeah. was dressed as Vinny Yeah, Rollins he played as And Rollins. allegedly yeah, yeah. complained because MC Search was too rough in hitting him with a fake hammer. Well, <laughs> that sounds like Henry. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'll leave that. <laughs> Just leave that, leave that there. But 
you know, I, I don't know. I find it interesting that Eminem had to struggle so much to make it in Detroit. I mean, Kid Rock got over in fucking Detroit, and St. Cloud Posse got over in Detroit, and these are notoriously terrible groups. I, I kind of am yeah, fond they, of St. Cloud Posse as a entity, but not as a. No, 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 no. But they, they, these are totally different audiences, man. These are totally different. I mean, you know, it's like that time I was got into a fist fight with Harry Connick Jr. And he's like trying to tell me uh, that he's playing with real jazz guys. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, sure. Why would a real jazz guy play with you? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have so much of a sense of humor about my 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 attitude. So, you know, Eminem, if, if you were to take Kid Rock and St. Clown Posse's audience and send them to Eminem, I think you'd be like, nah, that's okay. That's not who I, they represent money, but that's not who I'm here for. I'm here for, you know, the real ones. But at the end of the so. day, he got all of those same clowns. I mean, yeah, Correct. it's all yeah, what, 150 million albums, and most of those were to white kids. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, like, you know like the story I started out with. I was turned on to it by like sixteen-year-old white girl. So yeah, I was turned on to it by a thirty-year-old white guy that I worked with who started calling everybody Slim Shady one day because he had seen the Slim Shady video, and it was like, <laughs> "What is this?" Uh, <laughs> oh man! And I yeah. like the Eminem singles, but I, he's got Kurt Cobain disease to me, in which I just don't yeah. find the album satisfying. Like I like the singles; yeah. I think he's cool and everything. But the same songs as I dig as singles, I get sick of when I sit down to listen to the record. And I still don't like Dr. Dre's production. Like, you know. I've never listened to an Eminem album, just singles. I, I, I have to say that what, what rubs me wrong about Eminem is the constant and continual efforts to amuse me. You know, I don't, the, you know, this is my my own standard problem, whether it was rock or hip hop with joke bands. It's like, mm. I just it, just, it fundamentally feels really dishonest to me. I mean, there's some people who could put it off because they say, we're not so much a joke, like Digital Underground, we're a party band. Mm. So, so I got it. So if I'm in a party mood, I, the, the joke is a party, the party is a joke. But this, you know, I didn't mean to give you Mushrooms Girl and the little joking and the, the, the jibes that, you know, uh, uh, Christina Aguilera. I mean, uh, just, it's, I just, I just don't, it's like. Who fucked I'm you a, first? Yeah, I'm a Who grown adult Fred man. You know, the, the only thing, the, the thing he did that finally got me to go, ooh, was that kind of freestyle he did in the garage, the, the anti-Trump thing. Uh, do you remember this? And oh, yeah. right around the time Kaepernick. And that actually, there are a few songs that do that to me. Strangely enough, one of them is DMX. Um, and uh, the anthem, Rough Riders, the exactly. Rough, Rough Riders Anthem. And this thing that he did, in the, uh, Eminem did in the garage where the hair on the back of my neck just stands up and I'm like, oh. Well, I felt that way about Mark. Remember when he dropped out in 2004, right before the election? Like, Who? my dumbass really thought, Eminem, he dropped, he dropped a... Mosh, right before the 2004 Bush carry election. My dumbass probably thought he was going to turn the tide and yeah, carry no, was going to win. There were articles and... about that saying that he was going yeah. to, you know, put his wheel on the election. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, and it, if anything... I mean, it too, it too, it's, to the, it's to the character born, right? I mean, there's some, like, I can listen to Biz Marquis all day long, mm. and, you know, you know, they do, the clown prince of hip-hop. Yeah, you know, uh, he's just a funny guy. That's just... If, in, if he didn't get anywhere near a microphone, he'd be cracking you up on the stoop, yep. right? It's just, that's just his nature. Yeah, but but then with Eminem, you know, he's these little jokey songs, and the dudes out pulling guns on people and getting arrested and throwing themselves. But the songs are also gross and violent and and way over the top, which which I think air apparent. And you know, Buster Rhymes. Yeah, yeah, and and Buster Rhymes talks about it. Like, who who is this? I was so confused. Like, no black guy would dare say this stuff. Oh, you're right. But I kind of I kind of wonder. Like, and I get that. I get the whole. Black people don't necessarily have the cultural latitude to go out that far out on a limb and be as gross and sick as Eminem has been. Well, but at the I same mean, time, the, the, no, no, no. I mean, I take I mean, anything. The like, ghetto the, boys, you know, the ghetto yeah. boys did it, and and you know, and, and actually, the song I find to be most, hardcore, no, most depressing, outside of the fact that it completely got rid of Sandra Bernhard and Madonna as fans was the NWA song, To Kill a Hooker. Yep. I find that song incredibly depressing. You know, it's just like... It, yeah, I never for, done I mean, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It just seemed it seemed to be an aggressive form, a, a baseless, aggressive, needless, unforced error of a song punched down. And, you know, and, you know, I, I've never wanted to kill a hooker, so I just didn't have any empathy, you know. 
<laughs> Maybe if you'd driven more long haul trucking. And, and Eugene, didn't you have? And you also had the video game, right? With the uh, with the car antenna smacking a. Oh, right? oh that's so, right. Good for you. Not as if you, uh, you know. <laughs> well, Alexis goes too far, to, sir. Well, go with the car to, antenna. To well, don't kill funny. her was a video game that we had on Skull Game called Pimp Hand and you had to chase prostitutes. It was like it was like Pac-Man, but you had to chase you had an hand with an antenna in it and you had to ch chase prostitutes and then when you hit the prostitutes, there would be a scream and money would pop out of them. So it would be and the only person I could get to design it, because I asked all these different people, they were like, ah and then when I told them they would be like, nah, nah. My sister <laughs> is actually designed it. My uh a Pilar Newton Katz, phenomenal animator, and she did what it. And I, I keep the site archived just so I could play that game. It's <laughs> still great, <laughs> but, but oh. none, no, no hookers were mur murdered in the making of that video game. So <laughs> good for you to remember. It was called Pimp Hand. Pimp Hand. There you go. Yes, yes. Back from the days when pimping had some cultural cachet, which we certainly yeah. don't approve of in 2020. And it still wasn't easy. No. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, I mean, any other thoughts about Eminem? Like, like to me, the, the interesting thing is that that pattern of having to get people, Black folks to vouch for him to get that credibility. And Dre was just the ultimate checkmate. I mean, that's all. You know, it wasn't until he didn't make it in Detroit until after he made it as a huge international superstar. Yep. Now Detroit I mean, loves it, you know. Yeah. And he's had this I, 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 I kind of keep wanting to compare, compare and contrast, though I've not been interested enough to do it, Elvis and, and Eminem. And there seems to be a fundamental difference. And I start thinking about it and Which I lose is. interest. Which is I don't know. I, I don't know. Elvis I start, says I start, being descended from triracial isolates Melungeons. <laughs> I tend I tend to I tend to think there was there's greater agency with Eminem and I think more um you know at a certain I mean there's still the, the disputed Elvis quote about the only thing a black man could do for me is shine my shoes and I, 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 disputed, I think that's totally you know. bullshit. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I was paid yeah, Jackie Wilson's hospital bills, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah. And Al free righteous guy. And and Al Jolson was one of Al Jolson was one of the first donators to a lot of the civil rights causes. So I'm not I'm just saying about agency, you know, the fact I think uh, the big, I think you're onto something though, because the thing with yeah. Elvis that struck me you know, reading the Garonic books and, and, and talk about it for hours is that Sam Phillips drew that out of Elvis. Elvis wanted to be a country ballad singer or a Dean Martin type singer. Mary Alonzo was one of his models and he started doing that's all right. Mama as a joke for fun. Cause he yeah. loved that kind of music and he listened to it. You know, he went to the black churches, he went to the black clubs, he saw BB King, yeah. you know, he was in Memphis and he was absorbing everything and loved the music but he just thought it was ridiculous for a white boy to be doing this stuff. So it was yeah. always kind of tongue in cheek. And, and Sam Phillips was the guy and Scotty Moore just drew that out of him and goaded him on. Whereas Eminem totally yeah. um, was self-conscious and, and an auteur in his own right. And the Slim Shady thing yeah. was just a frustration after his first album flopped, you know, like yeah. he just did the Slim Shady thing. It's a big fuck you. Like, and, and that's what people responded to in the end. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, which is which is which is weird if, if you've ever made music to get to can you imagine getting known for the thing that you do that you like the least? That would be a tough, tough pill to swallow. Yeah, it's it's you know, and and Eminem's whole success was a classic Bush era, you know, decadent yeah. period. The knots were pretty grisly, you know, and in a lot of ways. And Eminem was totally the superstar of that era and the perfect avatar. Of it, I know. thought you meant knots, like knots on someone's head or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. the knots, as in 2000 to 2010. Not the knots. Like what do you call it? What do you call it? Knots. Knots. The <laughs> the fuck he should have called it knots. No, he said knots. It should have been knots. Knots. Yes, yes. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm just a My state Ivy college guy. My Ivy League educated mind misinterpreted. <laughs> I said there's two against two against one. <laughs> always. <laughs> always, always. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anything else to say about Eminem and the show? 
What is yeah, yeah, what is where where are we now with him? What is he's in some current thing where he's apologizing to somebody, Rihanna? What is this about? Oh yeah, Rihanna. I've, ign- yeah, I've, ign- yeah. I've ignored it all because I just don't care. Or whatever, right? Wasn't there like that it was released? And he said something about Rihanna or but something. He made a rap about it too. Yeah. He's also having a feud with Young Thug. Although I don't know if he's acknowledged Young Thug, but Young Thug is totally dissing him, like, you know, who cares about your old ass. And, young Thug who and, says he has more stadium hits than Jay-Z. <laughs> yes, this is a yes. this is a great that great line from that slick Rick song where he he starts to imi- imitate an audience uh, member. Say, uh, "You old ass rapper." <laughs> he says, "Yeah, but I can still deliver." <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I mean, yes. again, not putting slick Rick in big mistake. Yeah. Or Houdini. Yep. Again, it. and I think I think it's because they compressed that first season because they didn't know if they'd have a second one. And I can understand wanting to get gangster rap in there. I can understand there would be pressure from the suits to get NWA in. But if they had had a whole episode on the Run DMC, Houdini, Slick Rick era, and then another episode on Public Enemy and Eric B and that era, I think it would have made more sense. But I am looking very much forward to the next one in which we're going to talk about Outcast oh, and the Rise yeah. of the South, which – Amusingly enough, starts out with crisscross and TLC, because that's kind of oh, how man. the Atlanta yeah. uh-huh. got started. Uh-huh. Although they leave out Arrested Development, who, despite being from Wisconsin, no, 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 they were there. They were there just briefly. They were there. They got him in there. Yep, they got him in there. Hey, didn't yeah, one of the guys? Didn't one of the guys from Crisscross die? Yep. Did I? Or, did. Yeah. Yep. Yep, right. yep. And again, ecstasy of Houdini died, and they're having trouble with the family raising enough money on GoFundMe uh, to pay for the funeral. Which, man, this is fun. one of those things. This is what, like, I've had friends who like hit early, and it's like one of the things about it's like I remember a friend of mine lost his virginity at nine, and at a certain point, I thought, man, that is great, you know. And then I started as I got older, I was like, yeah, you know, I lost my virginity when I was like 15, right? And I thought, this is going to be a normal part of my life now. And it took me a year before I got laid again. So I'm like, ah, yeah, this is kind of sucks. <laughs> so it's like the same thing. When you hit early, you got to you gotta just, it's, it's not always a good thing. Man. Yeah. It, because you, you can't go back to normal living. You can't show up at a job at, at, at you know, a <laughs> city job with the hat. What's your name? You could call me ecstasy. Yeah. Okay. Look, what's your name? And we, what's with the hat? You know, so you got yeah. a celebrity that was functioning in the eighties. What are you going to do in the arts? You know, um, I mean, the you're not. famous. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are you going to, what do you do? You're famous, but you got no money in the bank. Yep. I mean, this is, this is, uh, it's like all the, who, the, mo- the most bitter guys I've ever met have been professional athletes from the seventies when they mm. couldn't really make money, but they were right on the cusp of watching all those cats in the eighties, just get crazy rich. Like that guy who mowed my lawn for 20 bucks used to play for the warriors basketball oh, player. It's man. like, man, they, there's gotta be some way to take care of it. Like, you know, like a, an association for not, <laughs> Um, what have we? The musicians' union don't they take care of you when you get old? No, there is, and there is, and uh, they they are supposed to take care of folks. But I think that the payments yeah. were predicated on like when you played, how long you played, when you played. There's there are formulas that are in place. When you joined, yeah. and how much dues you paid, and they didn't let hip hop okay. people in to the musicians' union for a long, long past time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I wonder why. <laughs> you know, hmm. probably. I don't know. Well, Maybe they were just because they were too, too negative, you know, <laughs> too n- n- negative. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. 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 So anyway, we'll be back next time to talk about season three, episode four of Hip Hop Evolution featuring the Dirty South. I can't remember what it's called, though. I should have written this down. The Dirty oh, South. My bad. The Dirty <laughs> South. Is it called the Dirty South? I think so. I think, uh, well, it, it is, is now. And so, anyway, yes, it is now. We'll look forward to that. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate will return with Eugene S. Robinson and Alexi Ald to continue their discussion of hip hop evolution with a look at the birth of the Atlanta hip-hop scene from Criss Cross to Outkast. 
Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Let It Roll is dedicated to the memory of Ed Ward, Russell Thomas, and Danny Park. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.